As you're doing so, please take your Bible and turn to John chapter 12, our Palm Sunday text this morning. John's account of the triumphal entry, John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. John 12, starting in verse 12, the Holy Spirit says this, The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Father, we ask that you would sanctify us in the truth. Your word is the truth. We pray in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Last month, the city of Detroit hosted the NCAA men's wrestling tournament at Little Caesars Arena. I'm, I'm not talking about WWE. I'm talking about legit shoot wrestling, like amateur wrestling. And um, I know several guys who went down to the city to watch the tournament. I know some of the, some of the Macintosh uncles were there. Um, Bethany has uh, a couple cousins who wrestled at Annapolis High School, and they went down and checked it out. And, and there's a relationship, a friend that Pastor Kevin and I have, and he, he's a big Michigan wrestling fan. He was there as well. And he, he told me at the at the national championship, I guess, for wrestling, how intelligent the crowd was that was there watching the tournament. Amateur wrestling fans are intelligent fans. They know what's going on. Um, Sports like football and basketball certainly have their share of rabid fans, but there's also a lot of casual fans. For football and basketball and others. 
there really are no casual amateur wrestling fans, right? Like, if you're into it, you're into it. So the fans are intelligent. Uh, he told me that the crowd reactions at the um, wrestling tournament were incredible to witness. He said, with every minor move, 20,000 people would simultaneously go, ooh. Or 20,000 people would start clapping at the same time. Amateur wrestling fans are intelligent, so when they go to matches, they know how to appropriately react. On this Palm Sunday 2022, as we look at John's account of the triumphal entry, we see numerous reactions to Jesus' royal entrance into Holy Week. You know, there aren't many accounts from the life of Christ that are in all four Gospels. Uh, But the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, is in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, making it one of the most important events in the life of Christ and, in turn, also making it one of the most important events in redemptive history. This is part of the reason why, as a church, every year uh, we acknowledge and celebrate Palm Sunday together specifically. This is an important date for Christians. And what John does in his account of Palm Sunday is he reveals three reactions to Jesus in this text. Number one, there's the reaction of the crowd. Number two, there's the reaction of the Pharisees. And number three, there's the reaction of the disciples. And so as we begin the sermon this morning on this passage, we must begin with one question. This question applies to all of us equally this morning. What is your reaction to Jesus Christ? Maybe, like me, you've heard about Jesus your whole life. Or maybe this morning is really the first time you've ever thought about Jesus. Or maybe you're somewhere in between. But regardless, this morning, Scripture forces us all to contemplate this question. What is your reaction to Jesus Christ? Let's look first at the reaction of the Pharisees. We'll start at the end. Look again at verse 19. It says, So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. If you spend even the tertius amount of time in the Gospels, you know that the Pharisees are the chief antagonists to the life and ministry of Christ, at least humanly speaking, they are. The Pharisees hated Jesus. The Pharisees hated Jesus because he disrupted the power that they held in their own legalistic version of Judaism. They hated Jesus and they wanted him dead. At this point in the narrative, at least in John's gospel, they are fed up with Jesus and they resolve to kill Jesus. They say, we've gained nothing trying to stop him. It feels as if the whole world is following him. We must stop this. 
is your reaction to Jesus like that of the Pharisees? The Pharisees hated the gospel. Let's do a little internal test together right now. The gospel says that everyone who will place their faith in Christ will be forgiven of their sins and will receive eternal life. To place your faith in Christ first means that you have knowledge of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Jesus is the eternal second person of the Holy Trinity who took on flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus lived a truly human life, yet without sin. Jesus died on the cross, bearing God's wrath for the sins of his people. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose again from the dead. Jesus ascended to heaven, and he will return to raise the dead, judge the world, and make all things new. That is the knowledge of Jesus Christ that you must have. But that knowledge is not enough. You must also assent that those things are true. But even that's not enough, because faith is made up of knowledge, assent, and trust. You must trust in who Jesus is and what Jesus did. The full weight of your hope and expectation and trust and belief must be in who Jesus is and what Jesus did exclusively. Now, here's the internal test. What is your reaction to that message? What are you feeling right now? What are you thinking right now? Does it make you angry? Do you bristle at the thought that you're a sinner in need of forgiveness? Are you offended by what the scripture says about who Jesus is and what Jesus did? Are you offended by what the gospel calls you to believe exclusively? If so, then your reaction is that of the Pharisees. And I beg you this morning, just as Pastor Kevin did earlier, don't react like a Pharisee. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. Believe the gospel. That was the reaction of the Pharisees. Second, we see the reaction of the crowd in this text. The crowd is large. They have gathered because they've gathered to Jesus because they love to watch him do miracles, signs. John tells us that the most glorious of these signs is when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. The crowd appears to be genuine in their worship. Even on Palm Sunday, they they follow Jesus. They waved palm branches. They shouted Hosanna. For a period of time, their words and their deeds made them seem like they were genuinely following Jesus. But the faith of the crowd is fickle. They followed Jesus so long as Jesus gave them what they wanted. They followed Jesus so long as Jesus entertained them with his signs, so long as Jesus fed them, so long as Jesus healed them. But the same crowd that shouted Hosanna 
on Palm Sunday shouts crucify him on Good Friday? Is your reaction to Jesus Christ that of the crowd? Do you want Jesus so long as he gives you health and wealth? Will you come to church so long as the church entertains you enough? Do you want to follow Jesus so long as things are good? But what about when sin and suffering come? What about when the doctor says it's cancer? What about when your teenagers tell you that they don't want to go to church because it's boring? Everyone is enamored with Christ at the Red Sea. But what about when you're eating the manna every single day? Is your reaction to Christ that of the crowd? We have seen the reaction of the Pharisees and the reaction of the crowd. And finally, here we see the reaction of the disciples. Look again at verse 16. Verse 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. John reveals that the reaction of the disciples is is actually in two stages. There is the initial reaction as they're experiencing Palm Sunday, and then there is the second reaction fully understanding it after Christ was glorified. So initially, on this day in history, the disciples did not understand what was going on. His disciples did not understand these things at first. Again, even a cursory reading of the Gospels reveals that the disciples did not fully understand who Jesus was and what Jesus did during his ministry. Even after Jesus resurrects from the dead in Luke 24, he rebukes the disciples for not understanding what the Old Testament taught about him. This is a healthy hermeneutical reminder to us that all of the authors of the Old Testament and even Jesus' followers during his lifetime did not fully understand the person and work of Christ until after his ascension, his resurrection and his ascension. They saw in types and shadows, but it wasn't until after Jesus was glorified that they understood. Before the first Easter, there were promises, there were types, there were shadows. Moses, David, Isaiah, others saw glimpses of Christ, but their understanding was incomplete. And this is why, again, a healthy hermeneutical reminder for us, we must always interpret the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. Always. Not vice versa. The New Testament is the answer to all of the Old Testament questions. The Old Testament is shadow. The New Testament is substance, to quote the book of Colossians. 
Now, even though the disciples didn't understand at first, after Jesus resurrected and ascended, they did understand. John goes on to say, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. John's parenthetical statement here reveals that eventually the disciples fully understood who Jesus is and what Jesus did. The Reformed tradition has always emphasized two elements of Christian sanctification, the Spirit and the Word. These two are inseparable as they lead us to Jesus and help us persevere until his second coming. John says, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered. So what changed for the disciples from this point to Acts chapter 2, where Peter gets up and basically does a whole biblical theology of the Old Testament, pointing to Jesus Christ? What changed so that they could understand who Jesus is and what Jesus did? The answer is that the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and indwelt them so that they could rightly understand the Word, the Spirit and the Word. After Christ ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. He indwells the people of God, and once the Spirit indwells them, they rightly interpret what the Bible had been saying all along. Notice the Word doesn't change. Jesus doesn't say, you have heard it said in the Old Testament, but, but this, is, this is a completely different thing that I'm doing here. He says, why did you not understand? Have you not read? The word doesn't change, but the Spirit gives us the proper interpretation, the Christ-centered understanding of what the word had been saying all along. And the Holy Spirit works in concert with the word. In the second half of verse 16, John writes, they remembered that, things, that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So the disciples didn't merely remember what happened on Palm Sunday. They finally understood what the scripture had been teaching about Jesus all along. And John intentionally evokes three Old Testament texts here in this pericope to reveal what the Old Testament had been saying about Jesus the whole time. First, in verse 13, look at verse 13. John says, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. Now, this allusion is not as clear to us as it would have been to John's first century audience because they would have been uh, more, they would have had more intimate knowledge of the Old Testament than we do. Um, Jewish children in the first century would have grown up uh, singing the Old Testament so much so that they would have large portions, if not most to all of it, memorized uh, because of how they were indoctrinated. So Old Testament allusions came quick to them in a way that we have to labor to understand. In Leviticus 23, Moses um, is giving God's Old Covenant people a list of regulations about the different festivals that they have to keep. In Leviticus 23, verse 40 of Leviticus 23, Moses is discussing the festival of booths. And this is what he says. On the first day, you must 
Make for yourselves branches from majestic trees, palm branches, branches of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you must rejoice before Yahweh your God for seven days. So among the other things that Palm Sunday reveals to us about Christ, one of them is that Christ is the fulfillment of the Feast of Booths from the Old Testament. When Israel was led out of slavery from Egypt in the Exodus by Moses, uh, they, they lived in tents as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Every year, even after they came into the land, Israel would reenact this. They would go out and live in tents um, because they were to remember how Yahweh had redeemed them from slavery. Earlier in John's gospel, John 1, 14, John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word in the ESV there, dwelt, is the Greek word skenao. It's the word in the Septuagint that's used for the tabernacle in the Greek version of the Old Testament. So what John is telling us there is that Jesus tabernacled among us that the tabernacle and the temple were shadows that were pointing forward to when God would be with us in his son, Jesus Christ. Israel's reenactment of tenting in the wilderness with Yahweh prefigured what God would do fully and finally in Jesus Christ. So the palm branches, even as we have palm branches now in front of the pulpit and at the Lord's Supper, are reminding us that Jesus is this fulfillment. Jesus is, the, is God's tabernacle. He's God's temple. Jesus is God with us. That's part of the message of Palm Sunday. Secondly, in verse 13, John quotes Psalm 118, 25 through 26, when he says, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Here, if you were to read Psalm 118, the psalmist is once again alluding to the deliverance of the exile. And he does so to write of God's final salvation in his anointed one. Jesus Christ is the blessed one who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus Christ is the true and final king of Israel. The word Hosanna by the first century had become a liturgical term. It was a term they used in worship. It, it would be akin to the term hallelujah. It was a shout of praise. But originally, Hosanna meant God save us. Jesus is the one through whom God will save us. So we see from Leviticus 23, we see from Psalm 118. And third, if you look at verse 15, John quotes from Zechariah 9.9. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. This is the text that we read in our call to worship from Zechariah chapter 9. Jesus is the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy of the coming king. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. 
In the ancient Near East, when a king would conquer a new city, he would ride into that city on a war horse to show his dominance, his sovereignty, that he was the new ruler. But when that king would ride into his capital city, he would do so on a donkey because the donkey is the animal of peace, at least in their culture. So Christ rode into Jerusalem on a donkey because Christ is the one who is bringing peace between God and man. John is showing us here that Christ is the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. Jesus and the apostles, they had the same Old Testament that we do, same 39 books, but they were structured differently. They were in a different order. They had three divisions of their Old Testament. Jesus' Old Testament was divided into the law, the prophets, and the writings. It's referred to as Tanakh because the law is the Torah, the prophets are the Navim, and the writings are the Katuvim in Hebrew. Tanakh, law, prophets, writings. John here alludes to a passage from the law, Leviticus 23.40. He quotes a passage from the prophets, Zechariah 9.9, and he quotes a passage from the writings, Psalm 118.25-26. John is showing us, once again, that all of the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, and the writings, every bit of it, is telling us of the coming of Jesus Christ. And what was true for the disciples is true for us today. We can only see Jesus in the Word by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can only see Jesus in the Word by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Word and the Spirit are the lenses through which we rightly see the good news of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. This happens first and foremost when the church gathers every Sunday around the Word and the sacrament. Do you want to see Jesus? Do you want to know Jesus more? Do you want to commune with Jesus? Do you want to feel the sweetness of the cleansing of the forgiveness of your sin? Do you want the hope of of the gospel and of resurrection to be beating in your heart all week. Give yourself to the word by the power of the Spirit every week here at church. That's how you do that. There's no secret. There's no extra experience. There's no spiritual feeling that you can conjure up out in the woods that's not going to happen at boring old church. The church are God's people in God's place. And the means of grace, the word, baptism, the Eucharist, they are given to the church. Man, do you want to know Jesus more? Do you want to love Jesus better and more deeply? Come to church. Gather around the word with the people of God. My prayer, our prayer this morning, should be that our reaction to Jesus is that of the disciples. These men were not perfect. These men were sinners. 
But they saw Jesus through the lens of the Word and the Spirit after Jesus was glorified. And in turn, they gave their lives for Jesus. John, who authored this passage, uh, Church Tradition and History, tells us that John was the only apostle who wasn't martyred. But John died of old age after being exiled, persecuted, and tortured for the gospel. Will your reaction to Jesus endure through persecution or martyrdom? The reaction of the Pharisees and the reaction of the crowd would not. But if your reaction to Christ is through the lens of the Word and the Spirit, it will. And when we read the Word by the help of the Spirit this morning, we see that this joyous Palm Sunday, this day that we celebrate with smiles on our faces, is but five days away from Good Friday. As Jesus rides into Jerusalem, he is riding to his death. One scholar said of the Gospels that they are all passion narratives with extended introductions. The point of the Gospels is to tell of the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is the center, not only of the Gospels, not only of the New Testament, but of the entire Bible. The word Jerusalem in Hebrew means city of peace. Yireh means city, shalom means peace. Yireh shalom, Jerusalem, it's the city of peace. There's some irony there. I don't think there's been peace in Jerusalem since Joshua went and took it. And you know what? There won't be until Jesus comes back. Jesus on Palm Sunday is riding into the city of peace on the animal of peace in order to bring us peace with God. He is the Prince of Peace. But our peace, church, comes only through Jesus' violent death. I pray that you'll join us for Good Friday. This coming Friday as Pastor Kevin brings the word to us and as we consider the death of Jesus, we have peace with God because Jesus experienced the violence of God. Because Jesus who is the Son of God, became the enemy of God on the cross. He became sin for his people. And the same crowd that cried Hosanna on Sunday will cry, crucify him on Friday. Let's not forget, church, that in this narrative, as we look as we look at the word and as it shows us who God is and who we are, that's who we are in this story. We are the same ones who in one breath shout Hosanna and in the other breath shout crucify him. But Jesus died to make the enemies of God the sons and daughters of God. This is the message of Palm Sunday. On the cross, Jesus died for our sins. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose again. Jesus is alive. 
Church, present tense, Jesus is alive. When we gather as a church and when we sing, when we pray, when we, when we sit under his word and come to his table, do you, do you think about the fact that Jesus is conscious and alive and he's, he's pleased with what's going on here? We are worshiping him. I love the R.C. Sproul quote. He said, there's someone who said, I didn't really enjoy worship at church today. And Sproul said, that's okay, we weren't worshiping you. We're worshiping Jesus and he's alive and he's, he's hearing us. He's hearing us sing to him. He's hearing our prayers. He's dining with us every week, church. He is our king. That's what Palm Sunday is telling us, that we have a king who died and who resurrected and he's ruling the world and he's ruling the church and it doesn't feel like it all the time. And the world thinks we're so foolish for having that belief, but he's going to come again and he's going to judge the world and he's going to make everything sad untrue. Happy Palm Sunday. That's the good news. The resurrection of Jesus, Easter, is the proof that Palm Sunday was true. Jesus Christ is the rightful king. He's the only human to ever wrestle with sin and death and win. He won. Jesus pinned sin and death. What is your reaction to Jesus Christ? You have to wrestle with that question this morning. Are you like the Pharisees who despise Jesus and want him dead? Are you like the crowd who follow Jesus so long as he benefits or entertains them? Or are you like the disciples who follow Jesus through the word and the spirit? What is your reaction to Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you would take your word and plant it deep in us. We know that your word will not return void. So, Father, we ask you once again that for any here at Christ Community Church this morning who have not believed in Jesus alone to save them, that your Holy Spirit would take your word and that you would open their eyes, that you would take their heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh, that you would raise their heart from the dead, that you would save them through the good news of Jesus. Father, we pray for your people that you would rebuke us in our sin and that you would comfort us in our suffering. As we come to your table, we ask, that, Jesus, that you would commune with us spiritually. Father, and on this Palm Sunday, as we begin Holy Week together here at Christ Community Church, we ask for the posture of our hearts that you would teach us to pray as Jesus taught us when he said, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Church, rise now and come to the Lord's Supper.